Welcome to the last Wednesday of the week, the multi-tool of sports podcasts, where we bring you our highlights of the week in sport, some meaty middles, and we take a look ahead. What's happening in the upcoming week of sporting joy? On this week's show, live golf. It continues to give some sporting delights and trials and tribulations for all involved. Uh, last week we talked about the journalists. This week we're going to talk about the players, I think. And um, Ben's got some things around the transfer roundup. And of course, we're going to touch on a myriad other sports in true multi-sports fashion. So join me, Dan, with Ben and Simon on this, the last Wednesday of the week. Good evening, gentlemen. Sport Hello. never rests. Have you? Are you guys rested? No, not at all. No. How about you, Dan? No. Are you rested? Well rested this evening. Mm. Well rested. It's. I mean, yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> Thanks for asking. <laughs> because that was actually the the seventh of your intros. You were trying there. At least one mm. one did well. Uh, Dan, you are ever professional. Um, and me and Simon have got so much to talk about. And you guys need, you know, I feel like I've got to be that aspirational person for you both. Yeah, you're a leader. Mm. And you are, <laughs> totally, totally. Just a standard right. bearer. Um, before we go any further, because obviously we, we're doing this show at a He's nice... He's finally leaving, Ben. Yeah, we're oh, leaving. No. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. <laughs> now, um, we know, we need, we've got so much to talk about. We're gonna, I'm just going to squeeze some stuff in now. England are losing 1-0 to Hungary, but at least we've got 16 defensive midfielders on the field. Um, and, you know, an amazing hey. comeback in the cricket. Uh, England beat um, New Zealand in an epic, epic game, actually. I'm not a big cricket fan, although I do like to play it. But, um, yeah, what a, what, a, what a story. And they've uh, managed to win their first game under their new leadership. So, um, yeah, awesome. Well done, cricket. Yeah, well done, cricket. And uh, Simon's right, there's always sport going on left, right and centre. I've just been watching Chicago Bears press conference with uh, Fields looking... Justin Fields. Justin Fields looking um, super confident and, and sort of giving, giving off a leader vibe, getting me excited for NFL, even though it's years away. I don't know, what <laughs> September or something crazy. Yeah. Uh, sport is, is, um, is the best, Daniel. The best yeah, medicine, well, Daniel, for a tough day. Well, even mm. even I, as many regular listeners of the show will know, as the host of a multi-sports podcast, don't watch a lot of sport. Mm. Um, even I had two screens worth of sport on at, uh, simultaneously on the weekend. Oh. So it was a bu busy, busy weekend all around, and we'll get into some of the details, some of the highlights, and of course we'll get onto those bigger topics in a bit. Um, Simon, let's start with you. Simon Says. 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 Um, so let's see what start you see. If you see it, say it. I don't get the reference. Um, or the accent. NBA. Yeah, I don't know what Close that was. Catchphrase. Say what you see. If you see it, say it. Say what you see. I think it was. See um, That's a type of car, right? Yeah, one of the questionable '90s presenters. You're all mm. in jail, Daniel. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> many of them are now. Yeah, we apologise for our co-host Dan, who's deciding to do. Uh, Sexual predator impressions on on a on a live podcast. Is it oh, was he? <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know it was. I mean, <laughs> but there's a good chance. If we work for the BBC, uh, yeah. I mean, Ben, you you've got to be a bit my. careful there. But hmm. uh, why? I don't work for the BBC. 
actually got turned uh, down yeah. uh, from a job to the BBC uh, at this it's morning. Roy Walker. So fuck the BBC. Uh, let's crack on. It was Roy Walker. Aww. Roy Walker, the Northern Irish TV personality. See what you see. Oh, he, see it, see it. He's fine. He, I'm sure he's one? fine. Yeah, as far fine. as we're aware. Um, anyway, let's let's move hastily off that topic. Uh, and let's talk about the NBA. Uh, yeah, the finals. So Where are we, we at? Had game five last night, gents. Oracle Arena, uh, California. And um, the Warriors pulled it out. It was another close game. Third quarter, the Boston Celtics were, were in a deficit and they managed to pull themselves into uh, a decent position. But yeah, uh, the Warriors... Outlasted them. Steph had an awful game, zero for nine for three. Literally the worst game he's had in this whole series. He's been by far the best player on either side, uh, but he was helped out by the rest of his team for once. So Wiggins, um, Draymond Green even turned up. Um, Thompson, yeah, all of them. It was a it was a good game, and it's just been a really really good playoff so far. So hopefully Celtics on their way back to TD Garden. Uh, pull it out the bag, and we go down to a seventh game, which is going to be awesome because and we, that's what we want in playoffs. We want exciting games. We do, and we will know the outcome by the next time we speak because game six yes. is Friday, game seven Sunday. Is that right? I believe so, Dan. Yeah. And where is game seven if uh, Boston can, can take it to a decider? Uh, the Oracle Arena. Okay, I see. So yeah. it comes back. Now, it, it, it bodes pretty well for the Golden State Warriors if Curry can miss nine straight mm. three-pointers and mm-hmm. they can still win the game. I mean, that's pretty dangerous. If Curry can have such an off day and they can still win. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I said, worst game he's played and they've lost two of them. So it's actually quite uh, strange for him to have a bad game and them to win. But yeah, they managed to get more of a team performance. And yeah, we're, now we are 3-2 to Golden State. So from the glossy sheen of the NBA uh, in America, uh, let's bring it back down to earth with a northern county. Talk to me about Derby County, Simon. Oh, I like it. So um, poor Derby County. Uh, they had a bid lined up by a guy, an American businessman by Chris Kirchner, I believe is the name, um, who was um, yeah, set up to buy Derby County, take on some of their debts, and obviously write them back into their position as a, a powerhouse uh, football team. Um, obviously, Wayne Rooney's still there, as far as I'm aware. Um, but he has just pulled out. So after weeks of being unable to prove he had the funds, he has officially pulled out. There was actually talk from the administrators of Derby County that uh, they had belief that he was going to be able to free up those funds, and he hasn't been able to. So unfortunately, uh, it puts Derby into a really, really bad position. Now, apparently, there are a lot of other bidders out there, and I'm sure they will come out of the woodwork sooner rather than later. But, you know, it's a very, very worrying time for Derby County. I mean, there's talk at the moment if they're actually even going to be able to field a team, which um, which is a very, very worrying situation. But hopefully for what is, as I said, a powerhouse of English football uh, they manage to right the ship, get a good owner in. Don't have to be an absolute millionaire, just someone who can, you know, put the money in the right place, keep them steady. Um, I mean, because it's a big team, it, it'll right itself eventually. But yeah, a worrying time uh, for all those connected with Derby County. Is it surely not just a good business proposition buying Derby yeah. County? They've got a good stadium, good mm-hmm. name, good good logo. They're kind of they've got a brand. Derby County do have a brand. And the championship playoff game is worth, well, this year was worth um, a reported £170 million in terms of TV and endorsements getting into the Premier League. 
surely you know that that's got to be uh, enticing for a prospective buyer Hmm. Yeah, I mean, definitely. The problem is, obviously, it's not easy to buy a football team. You've got to have the free capital. And a team like yeah. Derby, who are in a you know a large amount of debt at this moment as well, um, you know, it's not just a case of being able to give however much the administrators want you to buy. It's, you know, paying these debts as well or having a plan in place to pay them. And that is the big issue. And and unfortunately, Chris Kirchner hasn't been able to do that. So they're on the lookout for an owner. If you're listening to this and you have a large amount of money and you want to buy Derby County, then please submit a bid. And, you know, if you need a special podcast to sponsor the team for next year, we won't give you any money, but we'll give you, um, well, at least, you know, some a decent looking uh, kit, we'll, uh, we'll structure a package. Yeah, you know, we can exactly. we can structure yeah. a package. Get <laughs> yeah, your people to speak to our people. Yeah, exactly, definitely. All right, um, let's talk to any Ben. Let's move to you and someone that certainly is not in uh, need of any kind of sponsorship or cash. Um, Andy Murray, talk to me about Andy Murray. Yeah, listen, my main man Murray. Uh, Andy Cash Murray, that's what they call yeah, him. Yeah, uh, the, the alliteration king. Uh, he made the final of the Stuttgart Open, eventually losing to Berrettini. That's not alliteration. Sets. My main man, Murray. That's that is four definitely M's. alliteration. Oh, yours. Yeah. I thought you were referring to my... Yeah, all no, right, I'll let you no, off. No. As you were. Yours As was were. Uh, tremendous. Um, yeah, Dan, <laughs> <laughs> listen, he, he got to the final. He lost to Berrettini in three sets. Nonetheless, awesome tournament. He beat Bublik, Kyrgios, and Tsitsipas. Murray's now back in the world's top 50. I think his talent's probably going to take him back into the world's top 30 by the end of the year. It's all about the sort of life of his bionic hips. Can they take the strain and demands of the tour life back at the top? Uh, we don't know. He's pulled out of Queens this week. He will be at Wimbledon. But listen, Murray was back in the final with metal hips, but looking really good. How far can he go in Wimbledon? Listen, I'm not going to sit here and say... Oh, we say, know how far he can go. Yeah, mm. I'm not going to say he's going to make a final. But if you see Murray in a quarter final, maybe a QF, maybe a semi-final this year, Murray Mound will be rocking. I'm, you just never know. He's actually playing really, really well right now. And a couple of the big names are out of uh, Wimbledon. Uh, Nadal, unsure about his injury. Medvedev can't play because he's Russian. You know... Djokovic, Berrettini, these are the players that are going to be there at the end. Murray, if he gets a good draw, I don't know. I'm getting excited. But I'm going to stay on tennis. Simon. I just want to interject. So, uh, Andy Murray, how old is Andy Murray now? I mean, I don't want to catch you on the hop. Six. 36. Is there, and you said about hopes of him going into the top 30 by the end of the year, is there a chance he could make the top 10 again, or are those days past? Yes. Absolutely, he could make the top 10 again. He's 35, sorry. He's just turned 35, so he's not even 36, still a whole year away. Aged Uh, him. Sorry, I I aged him by a year. Yeah, so (laughs) he's he's just 35. Absolutely, he could make the top 10 again. And I'll talk about the top 10 in a second because it's super interesting. Uh, First, I want to talk about Tim Van Reithoven. Have you heard the name Tim Van Reithoven? No, but I think you're going to tell me why we need more of this in sport. Yes. Now, (laughs) just to sort of back up my point about Murray having a chance at Wimbledon, I'm going to give you the story of Tim Van Reithoven, the player ranked 205 in the world of tennis. 
had never won a tour level match. He'd never even won a title on the Challenger Tour, which is the kind of main tennis tour below the main ATP, the Challenger Tour. That's where you can really sort of earn your money and build up towards the main ATP tour that we all watch. The 24-year-old not only won his first match, he went on to win the entire tournament, beating current world number one Daniel Medvedev in straight sets. Wow. Daniel Medvedev's exact words were, not only did you get through to final, you destroyed the world number one. 6-4, hmm. 6-1. This is a Leicester winning the league story. There should be a film made about this upset. It's momentum. It just needed momentum. <laughs> Unbelievable. Like, the guy, he's not that young. He's 25. He's obviously been in and around challenging for a while. Listen, ranked 205 in the world. Clearly, he's an exceptional tennis player, but... You know, to, to to go straight into that, he's going to be flying into Wimbledon because this was a grass tournament. He's going to be feeling amazing. It was over Le, Le, Le Bema Open, I think. Um, he's going to be feeling fantastic. Tim Van Rijthoven, worth a quid to make the last eight. <laughs> You've heard it here. Where are you going? Um, but before I go across, I'm going to answer, uh, answer size question there. Right now, the current rankings in tennis... Daniel Medvedev, number one, and Alexander Zverev, number two. It's the first time since 2003 that Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, or Murray have not been in the top two rankings in the world. Wow. Unbelievable. We may finally have that shift. Granted, Djokovic is third and Nadal's fourth currently, but uh, unbelievable. We're coming up 20 years. There is a bit of a shift. Uh, but my money's on Djokovic to win Wimbledon. Wow, well, there you go. All right, Ben. Well, what else does more? Uh, what, what sport needs more of that? What does it need less of? Yeah, we were going to quickly talk about Mason Greenwood. We sort of said at the start of the show, do we really want to talk about it? I basically just wanted to quash something quite quickly. Rumors circulated rapidly over the weekend uh, that Mason Greenwood had paid a substantial settlement to the victim his ex-girlfriend, and was eligible to join Manchester United's pre-season tour of Thailand and Australia. Mason Greenwood is still on bail. The actual uh, hearing has been delayed. I believe it's going to go ahead in the next three days. At no point is he back. The rumours are erroneous. Uh, but listen, this may well be a precursor to a genuine possibility of a court settlement court settlements happen the victim may seek compensation right a non-disclosure and united will have their star striker back and at that point you know i'm sure me and Sarah would love to get into the conversation about does money sort of you know let you off in these situations should he be in jail what evidence etc mm. etc et um and I know so it's this, not is so a, this is a story a little while back of um, the alleged January. domestic abuse that was captured via uh, images and audio through Instagram and various things. Yeah, absolutely. He was arrested way back in January, that was. On, he's been arrested effectively then on suspicion of rape, assault and mm. threats to kill. We're talking about real bad grim stuff. stuff. Mm. Real grim yeah. stuff. Uh, but obviously in America as well, we've seen videos of Deshaun Sai, uh, Deshaun Watson, mm. uh, some terrible training videos. <laughs> doesn't seem to be able to throw a ball <laughs> straight, uh, which makes me happy because it, mm. I, I didn't agree with the signing. Mm. But what... You know, there's some sort of parable similarities there, right? Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes down to what you said about the power of money to allow people 
to you know get away effectively with the crimes they've committed. I know obviously there's monetary um, compensation, but but nothing else. I mean, Deshaun Watson, to keep it very brief, he has had two more claimants put forward on the civil case against him. Uh, some very very graphic stuff um, has come up quite recently, along with an inter- a, a article in the New York Times by. Uh, Jenny Vrentis, who's a very respected NFL uh, reporter, um, you know, that kind of sums it all up. So if you want to watch that, uh, read that article, then please, by all means, do, because this isn't the going away. And yes, he's practicing at the moment, but he's had two new claims come out. Um, the NFL seems to have kind of stuck their finger in their ears, but they're going to have to at some point potentially ban him because this situation does not look like it's going to... Um, to, to get resolve anytime soon. And, and we could be, you know, he could be behind for a year. Uh, I think six months is probably the minimum. Uh, six weeks is probably the minimum. I see him being banned, but it's still up in the air because the NFL really haven't come out at all. Uncommented on anything, but uh, you know, it's, it's a bad, bad look for Deshaun Watson. It's kind of summed up well in a podcast I listened to today, where if you read all the stuff that he's done, because let's, let's have a little brief surmising what he's done. Over a a 17-month period of time, he went to 66 different women for massages. Um, The hotels, uh, a lot of time, were supplied by the Texans as well. So they are now being uh, implicated in a lot of this. And um, non-disclosure agreements were put in for certain, um, certain masseuses after the event. Um, so yeah, I think the team was a little bit more in the knowledge of it than than we were led to believe originally. But yeah, I mean, sixty six different women that we know about over a seventeen month period. It's a worry, um, and as you said, yeah, potentially. And I know the grand jury in America can can you know reconvene sometime and maybe think about uh, charging him criminally. But there's a very good chance that once the settlements are paid, the compensation is paid, then he'll be about, he'll be able to go and, um, uh, you know, be a professional American footballer again. And, um, you know, uh, it was kind of summed up one podcast I listened to today that he is at best a creep, um, you know, potentially, uh, you know, almost demanding sex from a lot of these people. And at worst, he is a sexual predator. And therefore, you know, there's a very good chance and the same possibly with Mason Greenwood that these people who have potentially and we we have no official proof and they've not been done in a court of law and all that. But there's a very decent chance that these people are guilty of the crimes they've committed. Absolutely. And this is exactly the same. You say the best case scenario for Mason Greenwood is that he needs some psychological treatment with with regards to his aggression. Worst case scenario belongs in jail. Uh, Mm. But it's not for us. You, You know, you could have a whole podcast series on the the issues around settlement, the benefits of settlements for victims and vice versa. I mean, full, you know, deep into the law and and that's obviously not where we go, but uh, it's interesting when these things pop up on Twitter, uh, you see that kind of polarization of people who be like, oh, welcome them back to their their respective Mm -hmm. clubs, you know, Mason to um, Manchester United and other other players that they don't want them there. And those clubs then have to make a difficult decision. Uh, but hey, I mean, what I'm going to do, I'm going to move so swiftly on mm. away, divert away from uh, the negative towards the positive, but keeping in with the NFL line. I'm going to talk, Dan, about Devin 
Allen. Um, Talk to me about Devin Getting Allen. back to some positivity, away from all that criminality. Uh, the Eagles' wide receiver ran the third fastest ever 110-meter hurdles. At a meet in New York, he ran 12.84, only four hundredths of a second off world record held by Aries Merritt. He set that 10 years ago. Seven tenths faster than our very own Colin Jackson. Uh, sorry, seven hundredths faster rather, not tenths. Uh, Devon said four hundredths is only four thousandths of a second per hurdle. I like his math. I like where he's going. He finished fifth in Rio, fourth in Tokyo. Can he go one better? I mean, he's twenty-seven. Apparently, ran the the four the forty-yard dash in four point three five seconds. Um, although I would say. Do not expect him to be unbelievable for Philadelphia Eagles. He's super quick, no doubt about his speed, but he's only played a couple of seasons. Uh, college football at Oregon, I think, between sort of mm-hmm. 14, 16. He's not expected to be a standout wide receiver this sh- season, but he is a standout track and field star, third fastest 110-meter hurdles. Expect him maybe to go one faster if he's at the World Athletics meet this summer. Yeah, I read up briefly on this. Uh, didn't he would have, if he'd run that at the Olympics, he would have won every Olympic uh, hurdles uh, yeah. ever. He, yeah. there was, as you say, it's the third fastest time ever. So uh, almost a guaranteed medalist, potentially. Uh, I don't think he will make the Eagles. Uh, they have had so many track stars and so few of them ever tend to actually make it in football because they're, they're just built differently in a large yeah. number of times anyway. So, uh, we shall see. He signed as an undrafted free agent, so there is very little expectation on him to necessarily go beyond, you know, his status there. So, but we'll see. You never know. Maybe in a year's time, we're talking about him being uh, a contributor on the yeah. Philadelphia Eagles or elsewhere. Absolutely, and interestingly, I don't think it's a real financial issue for Eagles whether he does well or or not. They're not sort of mm. invested heavily into him. But one thing it does seem to have done is helped his training for the track. Mm effect so it's you know he's obviously training with the eagles now and it's affected very positively his track speed so uh, maybe that could just be good for both people i don't know we'll see what happens but positive fun fast people on hurdles on tracks excellent (laughs) thanks ben all right from fast on feet to fast on (laughs) wheels or fast in seats um, my multi-sports viewing at the weekend was, of course, um, the 90th running of the 24 Hours of Le Mans, wow. along with the Azerbaijan Grand Prix in Baku. And uh, one was infinitely more exciting than the other, but Baku still remains the race to show um, Monaco how a street circuit should be done. It is actually really glorious watching race cars go around that circuit. I really, really like it. Ben, uh, what do you think? We had uh, Verstappen coming out on top, of course. We had Ferrari continuing to show that they don't really have an answer or consistency uh, or the luck to take the world championship, certainly at this stage. Um, and actually, are we are we looking to see that maybe Mercedes in the form of Russell through consistency might take even more from Ferrari over the uh, rest of the season. Yeah, we, we've seen this before, haven't we? Red Bull running away. Um, it's got smacks of 10 years ago. Um, funnily enough, it was actually, I believe, nine years to the day since there was the last two Red Bull uh, right? drivers ahead. Uh, obviously, at the time, that was Vettel and Weber. Um, or yeah. 11 years, I mean, 2011, rather. Um, but yeah, I, Red Bull have effectively uh, wrapped up the constructors, and they are clearly going to run away with the season unless Ferrari can do something special. Baku was not the best race I've ever seen. 
not no. by a stretch. Um, but it was still miles better than Monaco. There were still bits. It's a wonderful track. There's loads of amazing stuff there. There yeah. was a super intense F2 race as well. Um, it was good to have Naomi shift back amongst the the sort of commentary. Yeah, wasn't it? She brought energy. I don't know if we don't see her much because of her personal schedule, or That's if amazing. she's you know sky raising her in, which they sometimes do with new talent i don't know um but yeah. i think she's a credit to the sport uh, sorry to the to broadcast of the sport um yeah very easy for the staff and paris didn't really have anything but in terms of the le mans i understand that next year is the 100th happening yeah of le mans. so, so le mans started in 1923 yeah and of course they've had probably expect years out for war and stuff war. like that so gets everyone uh, doesn't it other things so it will be the 91st running but it'll be its centenary uh event uh so it'll be a very exciting year um but speaking of the link between uh, what's the link between formula one this weekend ben and uh le mans our chief host who watched them simultaneously no Gaffer tape. Gaffer tape, Daniel. Gaffer tape. So uh, we had a little conversation. So one of the Alpha Tauris of um, Yuki Sonoda, uh, it's DRS, the rear wing snapped essentially in the middle. So half of it was stuck open, half of it was stuck shut. Um, they got a black and orange flag, which basically says you have to go in the pits because your car's not safe. Uh, and so they slapped some gaffer tape on it. Now, the commentator was kind of going, that's not okay. That doesn't seem safe. They're going to have to bring it back in. And Ben and I were having a conversation on uh, messaging. Um, Which on, side on... were you on, Dan? I, at the time, looking at it, I was like, there's no way that's going to hold because that looked flimsy as. <laughs> yeah, I was pro <laughs> gaffer tape it up. It's cool. However, you then look at some of the pictures that come out of the, uh, particularly the state of the Corvette after it had its uh, running with the wall. The gaffer tape that gets used by the end of a 24-hour race is, well, you could, it's probably spent the the GDP of a small country on rolls of gaffer <laughs> tape uh, for some of those race cars, and they just wobble back in with three wheels, half the body working like, yeah, what? Listen, I mean, <laughs> so I mean th- it's a different an, series, isn't it? A very obvious and fair argument in that open wheel racing if a piece of wing flies off the car in front it just goes through your skull we saw it with massa in 2010 when a spring took Mm -hmm. a chunk of his head out luckily he survived um and carried on doing very well for many years uh but uh yeah i i I just thought you know it was it was the right decision to do gaffer tape and obviously the 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 team they know what they're doing they know what they're doing yes yeah Um, but anyway, let's move over to the 91st running, Ben, because, uh, well, let's talk about the 90th briefly. Toyota, of course, ran away with it, but the commentator put it really well towards the end of the race. He said, what Toyota have done over the last few years is said, look, if we race each other this hard, imagine how hard we're going to race you. Come and join us. And I think that's that, that summed it up brilliantly because they do fight each other hard they race each other hard and they came in cars one and two toyota's uh, one and two uh, eight and seven two minutes apart after 24 hours they were two minutes apart it's immense uh, another five laps back with the glicken house further five laps back with the other glicken house alpine they didn't have anything to answer for they fit, they finished very far down the field yeah, absolutely. And we saw heaps of amazing action in the LMP2. We saw an absolute yeah. tragic hit on a Corvette late on. LMP2 uh, put a Corvette, the leading Corvette, into the wall. Um, there was some uh, some minor success for a couple of teams and uh, some set, success for uh, a fairly famous actor, uh, Fastbender, who completed yeah. the um, Le Mans 24-hour. Um, yeah. But yeah, listen, 
the and actual the crowd th- there this year, Dan, one hundred and forty-four thousand over the weekend. One hundred thousand was there on Sunday on this Sunday. Yeah, mega. So, and that's for a race just after COVID. Next year, yeah. I'd be surprised if it's not a three hundred thousand weekend. Yeah, and the GT racing is is arguably more exciting, or has been, uh, you know. And that race finished with Porsche and Ferrari just uh, less than a minute apart by the end. So it's it's phenomenal racing. And uh, but next year, Ben, the hypercar series. So we've got Peugeot, we've got Cadillac, we've got um, uh, Glickenhaus, Toyota, and um, Ferrari coming in as well. You know, we've got all these cars coming in for twenty twenty three in the top level of the endurance racing series. It's it's going to be very. Cadillac, did I say already? Very exciting. Yeah, I cannot listen. Wait. Well, listen, who doesn't want to watch Cadillac racing? I didn't even know they had a racing series. Um, I think Sai's going to come in with some um, embarrassment for our main man, Gareth. No, I was just saying I don't want to watch Cadillac racing. I was putting my hand up. Oh, but yes, right. <laughs> England are currently 4 0 down to Hungary. 4 0 to Hungary. Yeah. What. In the world, do you see? We're how not Swift... talking about that, Ben, because you're pretending it's not exi- existing. So, okay, uh, sorry, sorry. Of course, let's is, move yeah. on. All right, let's move on from our highlights because you know we were going to keep them brief, and here we are. So, um, that is the highlights of our week in sports. Um, suffice to say, uh, we're excited about Le Mans next year. Um, right, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Wednesday Pod on either. Um, Ben, Simon. Who's talking about Live Golf? Simon, you're talking about Live Golf. Yeah. Simon, last week um, we talked about Live Golf because the um, journos were were giving some serious heat to to the players um, about the moral implications of playing in such a league. Now, at that time, that was the trade-off for those players. They got a shitload of cash, but they had to deal with some tough questions. It's gone a bit further, hasn't it? Yes. So they had their first event. Um, as we were well aware. Um, it was actually quite a success, apparently. It wasn't streamed on any broadcasters in this country, uh, primarily based on, for example, Sky Sports have a deal with the PGA and probably have some residual loyalty. But I found it quite hard to find it on the BBC or anywhere. Um, it was streamed on Facebook and on YouTube, uh, and it came across as a bit of a success, really. So... Um, yeah. As we know, LIV Golf or Live Golf, I have no idea how to say it. Um, you know, you're looking at a $225 million pot over eight events. So that's a, a nice chunk of change. But also a lot of these big players who are coming in, uh, and, you know, more on that in a second, but, you know, your Phil Mickelson's and everyone else like that, are also getting a contract to play these. So Phil, I believe, is getting $200 million to play. Um Obviously, some other guys on the on the PGA have kind of come in, uh, and it's been announced that Patrick Reed, uh, former I think was he a Masters winner, former Masters, I, was, I believe, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, Bryson DeChambeau, the the swing doctor, are coming across. Uh, I don't know their their uh, particular fees, but I would think DeChambeau's probably got to be uh, as much as Mickelson, you would assume. Um, so the Saudi Arabian uh, owners are really, really going for it. Um, the PGA uh, actually is uh, not hilarious, but as, as interesting as it sounds, actually had a good event of their own, the Canadian Open, which was won by one Rory McIlroy. Uh, they also had a, a very, very good event, and it was kind of they were going, you know, head to head through large parts of the weekend. Um, 
the uh, Live Golf had, a, you know, an amazing issue. You know, they kind of went down some different roads. The commentary was a bit more light. Um, there was no staggering of players. So everyone just teed off at the same sort of time. So you just got wall-to-wall golf. You didn't get this situation where, um, you know, you have in the PGA where on the the last, you know, the, the last day, for example, you're, you know, looking at the stragglers before you ever get to any of the good guys. It, it was all just the shots and shots and shots. And obviously there was no adverts because it was on a uh, on a YouTube and Facebook channel. So there was no adverts. I don't know if that will change moving forward. But yeah, very, very exciting day for golf. Very exciting weekend for golf all round, really. But this will not go away. And we've just had some more defectors. As, as I said, the PGA have hit hard down on this and they have... Uh, suspended all of the players that have decided to play in the other tournaments. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's it's a really interesting situation to see what else happens. But as I said, we've had some more, um, you know, uh, golfers go over to this tournament for exceedingly large amounts of money. Um, it was won by Charles Schwartzel, by the way, uh, who earned, uh, I believe, £3.5 million which, uh, to put wow. it into perspective, is as much as he earned in the PGA over the last four years. <laughs> so I think that's that's kind of going down. And I know Ben has some questions, and I will allow him to ask the questions because I kind of know what one of the questions um, will be. And therefore, uh, you know, it kind of goes into what I'm going to talk about next. So, Ben, ask away. What, what questions do you have for me? Yeah, I mean, it's it's super fascinating if you actually sort of consider, uh, like you said, over the weekend, some of the golf was unbelievable. Even at the PGA Tour, you know, Rory McIlroy yeah. held off, uh, I think it was Finau um, and Justin uh, Thomas. Justin Thomas. I think Rose was there yeah. as well. You know, um, so listen, if, if Live Golf can make PGA Tour that exciting, um, maybe they can make them each each tournament more exciting is that not then good for golf i don't know mm. but in terms of you know initial um questions for you is uh, does the pga tour offer the players enough okay um f- you know the reason we've had this breakout as greg norman has said because golf needs shaking up mm. pga tour has long had a stranglehold on golfers um, you know, do they offer the golfers enough? Are we going to see the PGA Tour suddenly increase purses across their tournament to to cover the live golf? Because um, you mentioned Swartz or four million, but he three point four, but he'd not made that in four years on the PGA Tour. Mm. Incredible. Yeah, in his last four years. Now, granted, obviously Swartz didn't have the success he had before. Like he's a former Green Jacket holder, I believe. But yeah. Um, you know, yeah, over the last four years, maybe he's not been as successful, but he's still been a participating member. And he's been up there in several, uh, I think he was quite, doing quite well in the Masters, I believe, and the US Open. So he made the cut. So, you know, the guy has been winning or at least, you know, competing in tournaments regularly. Um, it's a very interesting question. Um, so if you ignore the fact, and this is what the big part of it is, obviously, um, with the uh, Live Golf, you have to almost ignore to a certain extent the sports washing, the oppressive regime, the foreign policy and everything else. If you just boil it down to its basic principle, as in um, PGA, would it be good for the PGA to have competition? In that regard, yes. Because um, Mickelson highlighted the other uh, a few months ago when he was originally interviewed. Um, I think the figure was banded out that they were, that something like revenue from the PGA was... 26% of it went to the players. 
Now, I know these players aren't exactly living in, you know, abject poverty. But when you have that small amount of money actually going to the players and the rest of it, I'm guessing, is going to courses, is going to paying staff on courses and, and various admin stuff. But probably a large majority of it is going to the commissioner, the, um, you know, the other higher ups within the PGA and not actually to the people that earn the money, which is the players. So in that regard, competition is good. And it's the same if it was the NFL or wherever, because, you know, when there is no competition, when there is no other entity that allows you to, um, you know, uh, to pay players, then you end up being able to play them whatever you, pay them whatever you want. Um, now, the PGA at the beginning of the year, somewhat cynically, I suppose, um, up to their revenue percentage that was going to the place to 55% to obviously combat uh, this, this new entity. Uh, but yeah, I, I think whether this would come, if, if the Live Golf just folded and went out of into obscurity again, would the PGA learn their lesson? I don't think so. So, I mean, yes, um, you're looking in Live Golf, you're looking at smaller pools of players. You're looking at some guys getting huge amount of money. Uh, for example, I think Poulter was given 10 million, whereas obviously... Bryson DeChambeau is going to be getting 200 million. But for both of them, they're happy with that amount of money and they've signed for it. Um, so, yeah, if we ignore the sports washing and everything else, if you just look at it based down on a principal element on competition, then yes, I think the PGA does need a, a, a big shakeup. And, um, and yeah, therefore, more money should be going to the players because effectively they're the ones that earn the money through the streaming services, through betting, through sponsorship or whatever. So um, ultimately, yeah, I just think the PGA needs to take a lesson from this. And even if nothing comes of the live golf in the long term, um, PGA needs to think about the way it's run. Yeah, you know, this series, this live series, they, they run shotgun golf, which means everyone tees off on a different hole at the same time and they work their way around. That's kind of yeah. a cool concept that I really like. Mm -hmm. They also play over the weekend for teams. These teams have kind of got kind of a, a T20 cricket vibe team name almost like, um, yeah, so fun, fun team names. We talked about them last week. Some of them are terrible. Some of them are kind of fun. Um, but yeah. Uh, do you, do you have to just accept that um, we, we shouldn't worry about morals here? You know, all sports funded by bad oil money. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all yeah. all, all, all money, all uh, sport is funded by insanely rich people. Mm -hmm. Why should we sort of, you know, um, lambast the, uh, the Saudis for this? Should we just accept this as a shakeup of the mm -hmm. golfing order that could... Um, brilliantly change golf forever um for you know and, and give these players good cash because some of the the journalist questions that were thrown out to ian Poulter, to lee westwood you know they were, they were savage you know would you mm. play for a a golf uh, uh tournament run by vladimir putin uh you know and, and what do you think of this that and the other you know crazy questions like journalists were diving on this i don't know if they're maybe fans of the pga tour themselves but where does sort of the morals kind of fit? Mm. I mean, should I go, okay, listen, yeah, it's Saudi money, but I want to watch this tournament or should mm. I go? No, you know, for me, the PJ tour is still the one. Um, even though you said 26% was going to the players, definitely some of that's going to government figures, mm. to, yeah. you know, make sure these tournaments are on TV and make sure they're promoted, et cetera. So there's yeah. definitely backhanded money going all over the place at the top yeah. level of sport. Lobbying and all. Yeah. Oh, I just, what do I do with my morals? This is the, this is the question to you, Sam. Well, that, that's what you've got to 
that's what you've got to decide for yourself. And ultimately, at the end of the day, this that will decide, not just you, but everybody, the greater you, um, whether this tournament is a success. Um, the big comparison as well, going off slightly a tangent from your question, um, the European Super League was bought in, which is not exactly an apples for apples comparison because... Um, Effectively, the Super League was an attempt by the elite clubs to have a stranglehold on uh, on football as it, as an entity, and you know take all the best players and everything else like that. Whereas in golf, obviously, these players these are individuals; these aren't a team, and this isn't you don't necessarily have the same support for a golfer as you would for a uh, a football team. It's just that's just the way it is. Yes, some people really like Tiger Woods or whoever, but you don't have that same kind of fanatical support that you do for a football team because you've grown up with them and everything else. So it's not an apples to apples comparison. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is there is a, an element of that. But as you said, like um, if you look in the NBA, you've got uh, guys who've uh, you know owners that have been um, called out for various horrendous things in the past, committed crimes, um, have dubious dealings with. Um, despots or whatever. Uh, same in the NFL. Same in in the Premier League. I mean, it's just the way things are to a certain extent. So, but you've got to be got to be um, you know comfortable with that. And if you're not, and if enough people aren't, then this tournament won't be a success. So, um, yeah, you've just got to got to think about it. And ultimately, at the end of the day, yeah, you should consider your morals. But um, yeah, it's a difficult question to answer in terms of. Is this the only thing, really? But um, yeah, I think you've just got to think about it and be. If you're comfortable with it, go for it. And if you're not, then don't watch. And that will be the barometer as to how successful it is. So basically, you're, you're clearly in like you know where in like yeah. <laughs> you clearly know where your line is, Ben, because you're not watching any uh, tournament that's happening. Hmm. No, no, and you know the line is. Um, and I think the nation leads. <laughs> we talk about it is. Um, absolutely terrible it's basically you can have too much of a good thing and, and clearly you know you can have too much football i think is actually exploiting players a little bit the nation's league i think it's terrible and a lot of the big teams have done terribly because they're all just on holiday mentally clearly yeah. um but live golf is is uh, not a flash in the pan it's here to stay they want to up it to something like 58 players I mean, there's a limitless pot of money where this money is coming from, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, this is the Saudi Arabian public fund. Don't forget, this is the, the public fund that bought Newcastle United, uh, who were looking to splash the cash. You know, there is a massive amount of money coming out of Saudi Arabia. Uh, I think they sell oil and some other things. Um, so they're pretty cashed. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Live Golf will affect. But, you know, in terms of the talk about PGA Tour, the US Open mm. kicks off in... Uh, tomorrow you listen to this tomorrow um you know i'm not going to give you any betting tips but justin thomas uh 12 to 1 uh you know so the pga tour has got a big weekend and there's going to be loads of interesting comments from the winners and the competitors about the live golf and uh, i think it's fascinating simon i really do yeah just, just to kind of put a bow on it as well i suppose the only way i suppose it is a comparison to the uh super league is that in terms of the smaller pool of players um is that going to, as you say, it will increase? But I mean, that is a, uh, remarkably smaller than you would get on the PGA Tour. And therefore, if this is only open to a small number of players, then you are effectively uh, cultivating the large cash market of the uh, of golf um, to a smaller number of players. But 
we don't know. It's still in the early stages whether this will increase or whether it will have a field similar to that of the um, PGA in the end, or, or will they live, you know, in symbiosis or harmony with each other? It's very interesting. But the PGA, I mean, we're, we're talking about uh, moral stands. I mean, we, we talked about Augusta in the past. You know, what's Augusta on? I believe it's on uh, old. Um, Cotton fields, I believe, uh, they had a horrendous uh, black rights uh, record in the earlier days of the uh, of the PGA Tour and uh, and Augusta itself. So, you know, ultimately, sport is wrapped up in horrendous practices, and you've got to be comfortable with what you feel you can be comfortable with. Ultimately, yeah, ab- <laughs> absolutely. I, I don't think you were allowed to play Augusta with a white caddy up until mm. like the eighties. I mean, crazy stories. Mm. You know, archaic. You know, a, a lot of these clubs still don't let women play. I think St yeah. Andrews only changed that rule around a couple of years ago, and obviously that's one of our one of Britain's um, biggest uh, uh, known courses. But super interesting, yeah, really exciting about the live tournament. And obviously, with the PGA. Uh, no, the PGA, sorry, the, the the major, the US Open coming up this weekend. There's going to be heaps of conversation about it, that's for sure. And we'll be sure to pick that up as and when it carries on. Um, right, we're going to move over to Ben now. Ben, you're going to, from talking about lo- lots of money in one sport, we're going to start talking about moving lots of money in another sport. And talk to us about the, the transfer news. Yeah, I'm going to um, I'm going to lift this to a super speed level. Because there's a load of football fans out there and they know transfers, they know names. It's that time of year again. Obviously, the football transfer window is open. We all sort of get goosebumps every time our respective teams are rumoured to be in for someone. You know, you never know if Derby County will sign Lionel Messi. Anything can happen. Um, But there's been some big sort of juicy signings already. Me and Cy were chatting pre-show about this. Uh, I'm going to take you through a couple of names uh, that have signed on the dotted line already so people know the Premier League has seen some big money moves. Erling Haaland, uh, this isn't a surprise to anyone following football. Um, He was going to City. He's been, uh, the Norwegian striker has been banging goals away in the Bundesliga um, for Borussia Dortmund. He is now a Manchester City player. The best team in England have added one of the best young players on the planet. And they got him for his release clause, which kind of sounds cheap. A lowly 60 million euros. Uh, The fact that that sounds cheap is just because we live in a stupid world. Um, But he could well be... uh, Sai, can't... Actually, I'm going to ask you the question. He is currently 7-2 to to be the Premier League top goal scorer next year. Can he replace Aguero? Because that's, in effect, what this signing is about. So uh, it looks uh, a little bit like Man City over the last year or so have played a slightly different formation. And regularly, um, obviously, I know they have Jesus, but regularly play without a striker. Um, De Bruyne, top goal scorer last year. So, uh, you know, in that regard, um, you know, and I don't think Jesus is an out-and-out striker. He's not the same kind of striker as Haaland, for example, that's for sure. So, um, yes, I think Haaland can. I think Haaland is an amazing player. Had a couple of injuries last year. Only played 24 games in the Bundesliga, I believe. Um, But, yeah, he's an absolutely amazing player. Um, And it will be all about, if he wins the goal, I think he could easily win the golden boot um, and everything else, if he plays enough. And I think it'll be interesting to see how Man City take this year because... um, 
they haven't been uh, overly successful. And yes, I know they've made semi-finals, etc., but haven't been overly successful in the Champions League. So will there be a level of, uh, you know, rotation and everything else a bit more than we saw this year regularly? So um, very interesting there. But yeah, I think he's an absolutely amazing player. Um, I mean, despite the fact that uh, we all knew it was kind of going to happen, it's got to be the signing of the of the summer already. Um, and yeah, fifty-one million pounds it was uh, in in English money. Um, what an amazing bargain for what is will be. And I'm I'm saying, that, if he stays fit, um, one of the greatest strikers in the Premier League history within a few years. I, I, listen, I can't even argue with you there, and I, I want to, but I can't. Um, I'd love him to be a, a, an Andy Carroll for Liverpool, but he's not. He's going to be unbelievable. How many mm. goals he scored? Something like eighty-four and eighty-eight. Those figures mm. are, are, are crazy. I mean, it's just it's it's like a computer football. I hope he stays fit. I can't wait to see what he does to the Premier League. Uh, but Liverpool made their played their cards. They they, they played a hand, a counter hand. And they've officially signed Darwin Nunes. Uh, he's Did they give medical. him his hotel room key for um, wherever it is Klopp was saying, get a book your ticket now? Well, I'll actually tell you that because interestingly, <laughs> there is an Istanbul. add-on clause for the Champions League final next year. Uh, yeah, Darwin Nunes has signed. So uh, pending a work permit, but they usually, you know, they're not unreasonably withheld often. Um, mm. Liverpool have spent an initial £64 million with a further add-ons of £20 million. It will be the big round €100 million Euro figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the add-ons are based on appearances, performances, and a Champions League winning. So if we win the Champions League, I think it's ten million we pay. Uh, the unveiling video was pretty slick. I kind of liked it. They flew a drone through Liverpool's state-of-the-art training facilities and the manager's office. It went past the trophy cabinet and out onto the training pitch where Darwin Nunes is walking onto the pitch, kissing the badge of his new number 27 mm. shirt. Um, listen, he scored a couple of goals against Klopp's team last year in the Champions League. We signed him from Benfica. Interesting little tidbit for you, Daniel, because you live uh, only a miles, a few miles from this stadium. Benfica got the Uruguayan uh, from Almeria. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how you say that. Um, Uruguayan? <laughs> Uruguayan? Uh, from um, Almeria, the, or Almeria, I should say, the, the second-tier Spanish club. In 2020, when Benfica signed him, Brighton nearly got his signature ahead of Benfica. They were in negotiations, but he chose Portugal. Super interesting. Um, so, yeah, well done, Brighton. They had the sort of eye on the ball. He turned into a big player. I would sort of add on, um, before I come to you, because I want to hear what you think of that mm. big signing, uh, that not so much rumours, Sadio Mane is almost certainly moving. It looks very much like Bayern Munich. Reports suggest it will be in the region of 38 million once we've kind of kicked their crazy add-on offers away. Um, There's no way around it. I'll say it now. We will sorely miss him. And if he does go in the next week, I'll probably talk about him next week. He has cemented himself as a club legend without a shadow of a doubt. I've loved having the African play for us. Uh, And when the deal is finally done, you know the whole of Liverpool will just wish him well wonderful football player and only 30 I still think Sadio Mane has so much to offer the world of football uh but Nunes Charles Darwin Nunes <laughs> I I did ask before the show that we call him Charles <laughs> from now on. um yeah 
a fantastic player. I think he will do well. I think there's a little bit more risk than the Haaland signing and ultimately as well being announced a couple of days afterwards for more money takes away from the triumphant glory of it a little bit. Uh, but I still think he'll be a very good player. He might take a season to to hit the ground running. I, I don't necessarily feel he's a guy that's going to uh, be absolutely elite or, uh, you know, from the end. He's played in Portugal. Uh, I think he had... He's had about a year and a half of playing pretty well in Benfica. Uh, had a decent scoring record at Almeria before, but as you said, you know, second division, not exactly the highest level. So um, it'll be interesting to see how easy he takes to a cold night in Liverpool. But yeah, a very, very good player. And you needed someone to replace uh, Mane's goals. Like you said, an absolute servant. What an amazing player he's been. And you can't begrudge him leaving. Age 30, he wants to try somewhere new. But as you said, Bayern have got to peel their finger out. I don't think uh, an extra ten million if they win three Champions Leagues in a row is going to cut it in terms of clauses. I think you'd have to be a mug to agree to that. So <laughs> um, yeah, I think Bayern need to put their hand in their pocket and give him some money, or well, not him some money, give Liverpool some money. But it's nice to see Liverpool have been proactive and already got his replacement in beforehand. And yeah, he's twenty-two. Um, you know, he's got unlimited potential and I think he'll be a very 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 good player for you um it might change the way you play a little bit I think he's more of an out and out center forward so I'm guessing that means what Diaz is going to be more of the Mane replacement necessarily and then obviously you've got Mo Salah uh, at least for the next season I suppose um so I'm guessing that's the way you'll you'll set up when you play your best 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 team um but you do have some fantastic uh guys on the bench as well yeah, absolutely. And, you know, let's not forget Diogo Jota, 28 goal involvements last year. Yeah. The guy's an exceptional football player. Yeah. Uh, a wonderful little bit for you from uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. He put a picture of Nunes on his Instagram and said, welcome to Liverpool. How may I assist you? Uh, I thought that was absolutely fantastic. I think that could be a cheat code this season. Trent mm. and Robbo whipping balls into big, strong Nunes. And the last uh, Uruguayan striker we had at the club was pretty good as well. Um, quick one for Daniel, because I know he likes big money being spent. Um, Aurelian Chuamani has officially moved to Real Madrid for an eye-watering 100 million euros. He might be the biggest sign in the summer unless Man United have something to say about it, uh, which I will go on to soon. Uh, Madrid, obviously Champions League winners this year. They're building the next-gen midfield. They've already got the super exciting Camavinga. Uh, and Chouameni is one of this just endless uh, conveyor belt of talented midfielders out of France. I mean, the French side are unbelievable. Um, I'm super excited about all these new talents. But yeah, Real Madrid got him, Si. Yeah, uh kind of shows a little bit why the Spanish teams are a little bit in trouble financially, though, because um, his teammate, French teammate, Boubacar Kamara, who's a quite similar player, Aston Villa got on a free. <laughs> so, I mean, yes, it's he's a very, very good player, but that's a very, very rich deal. And, I mean, ultimately, you don't necessarily see that many players performing up to the level who go to La Liga, performing up to the level of their contract, of their um, of their transfer fee. So it'd be very interesting to see. But yeah, very, very good player. And as you say, an absolute conveyor belt of French talent coming through. I think they are just getting stronger and stronger as the years go by. Um, and will obviously be a big, big favourite for the tournament that cannot be named in front of Ben. 
Absolutely. And one of those talented players, I'll talk about Paul Pogba, looks set to sort of complete his free transfer back to Juventus in the coming weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm going to stick with United because it's worth always talking about Manchester United. They're one of the biggest, if not the biggest club in the world at times. Fabrizio Romano, the highly trusted, in fact, legendary Italian football journalist, has said Manchester United had bid... Uh, 60 million plus 10 million in add-ons. It's turned down for Barca, and that's for De Jong. Frankie De Jong could very well be Ten Hag's first big signing of what will undoubtedly be a huge transfer window for the club. On Barcelona, they are holding on to Pablo Gavi. Currently, contract negotiations with a new five-year deal. The release clause will be set at a clean 1 billion euros <laughs> wow <laughs> simon what do you reckon That's about one funny. billion oh i mean easy he'll need, he'll need a live golf contract <laughs> yeah, he, will. he will so um there's we were talking about this off air there's actually not as many deals as we thought i'd kind of officially gone through done yet but frankie de Jong, if he does go to man united it's been a couple of on and off reports he wasn't interested in them and now apparently he is uh, obviously, Ten Hag is his old manager, so that was a, a, an interesting relationship there. Um, but sticking on Man United, um, I, I kind of asked, asked you off air, but didn't want your answer. So I'll ask you now, because I've given you some time to prepare. How quickly can Ten Hag, if he is the right man, that is, turn Man United around? Is this a two to three year job? I mean, there are so many average players on big money deals there. Um it's going to be interesting to see how guys brought in by the previous regime, players brought in by the previous regime, are they going to fit the way that um, he's going to play? Obviously, Ten Hag, not to be stereotyped, is probably going to want to play kind of a ticky-tacker kind of possession-based Dutch free-flowing football. Um, so are some of these guys actually going to be even played? So is this a one-year thing or is he going to take a good two to three years to really clear out the deadwood and put Man United where... As much as we hate to say it, because we all hate Man United, where they really deserve to be, as they are the biggest club in the world. Yeah, but the thing is, you have to define to the fan base what success is going to be over the next you know, three to five years. Um, in reality, getting top four football next year looks nigh on impossible for Manchester United right now. Um, the top two clubs in the league, Liverpool and City, have simply got better in this transfer window. You know, bear in mind, Liverpool have also signed Carvalho. Um, City have also signed some, young, you know, the young Brazilian lad. looks absolutely fantastic. Uh, is it Alvarez? So you've got, you know, some amazing transfers going on from these huge players. Um, you know, so they will have to basically make a huge, either 200, 250 million this year um, if they wanted to even challenge for top four. You know, I want to answer sort of that with, you know, look at Chelsea. They've got the huge big money. They've been you know, uh, transferred now at 4.1 billion to, uh, to Boehly sign them now, rather, the Dodgers owner. So they've got more money coming in. But look at who finished fourth this year, Si. Mm. Spurs, mm. the Spurs. London club. Spurs. They've already signed Ivan Perisic. They've got Fraser Forster to add competition to the agent, Hugo Lloris, uh, Hugo Lloris, rather. They've landed this insane fish Besuma from Brighton mm. for £25 million, an absolutely outstanding player. They are currently favourites to re-sign Christian Eriksen, uh, but will take some competition from some you know other clubs. But they can offer Champions League football where Manchester United can't. Mm. They're in advanced talks to sign Jed Spence from Middlesbrough, who of course was on loan at Nottingham Forest last year. Very, very good player. 
Really Excellent good. I saw, player, I saw him right? in the player final. He looked really dangerous. Yes, like unbelievable player. Jed spent a great also young player going forward. And there's talks of a Richarlison deal for 50 million. That's where Spurs are with Conte. And Man United are being held to ransom for Frankie de Jong, a midfielder who do they even need? He's not necessarily a full out and out defensive midfielder. He's more box to box. He's very um, lightweight as well. I mean, he, yeah. he's not the biggest guy. Um, Van der Beek is kind of the more dynamic, industrious version of Frankie de Jong. And he really has had a tough, you know, acclimatizing to the Premier League. So, I mean, it's a, uh, it's not a given. And yes, you like to bring in your favourites and guys you can trust. But it'll be very interesting to see after the first high challenge or shoulder barge or whatever, if Frankie de Jong fancies it. I know it sounds weird. It sounds almost... Um, you know, very dis- dismissive of of, um, of foreign players almost. But, you know, Premier League football is unlike any other football in the world and you really have to be up for it. So um, Frankie de Jong, who's had a, a mixed time at Barcelona, really, uh, hence the reason I want to get rid of him. Um, yeah, he's going to be into a rude awakening unless he is prepared to, to really battle out in the Premier League. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Manchester United are... Uh up against it to get top four next year but three to five years I think is a fair estimation if Ten Hag's given that time who will know I want to just say one final club before I go we could basically talk about transfers forever but we want to sort of round it down everyone's got things to do in life I want to talk about Aston Villa hey, and not just because it's your club side they're making waves Steven Gerrard's mm. on holiday with his family but the club are doing things for him Philippe mm. Coutinho's obviously been made uh, permanent for a paltry 17 million. I think he's an exceptional world-class player who's nearly back to fitness. Um, Bubakar Kamara, you mentioned from Marseille on a free transfer. And mm. Diego Carlos, a proper sought-after central defender, has joined from Sevilla. Reported 26 million, which I think is a good price still for Diego mm. Carlos. He is a strong, nasty central defender who I think will do exactly what you said he will come to the Premier League and get involved. Let's not forget Leon Bailey is looking to have got his fitness problems maybe under control. Can he show show us how good he was? Can he be the player that we thought he was? Uh, was it Leverkusen? Um, Aston Villa still needs you know, another midfielder, maybe versatile fullback, another striker or yeah. something like that side. Mm-hmm. But you've got to be happy about the progress so far this summer. Yeah, I mean, you've summed it up. I think we've done really well. It's a real thing under the new management of the team that getting our deals done early. I mean, basically, most teams hadn't even thought about looking for transfers when and Villa came through with Coutinho and then with Kamara very quickly afterwards. And then Diego Carlos was, was also signed before the start of the transfer window opened. So, all in all, yeah, fantastic business. I still think, as you say, there's a few other positions we need to improve. Rumours of a striker, but um, I'm not so sure because it's the same when you want to keep Danny Ings, um, in which case I don't think you can have all three of them uh, with Watkins as well. Um, but yeah, definitely another midfielder, a number eight probably, um, and a backup left back. And I think then we are laughing because um, we've got depth, competition at various places. Uh, we just need a good preseason under the new manager. And yeah, I think we can rock it up that league with a with a team that we can put on the field. And that's it from our meaty middle. Yes, I am not Dan, 
basically Dan, who knows where he is at this moment. I believe he's going to come back to us next week. Sai, is there anything even going on next week? We've covered Live Golf. Everything's been a bit crazy. Transfers are just going to take over the world. England are losing in a terrible tournament no one cares about. Uh, what's happening this very morning if you're listening today? So um, I believe it's actually Thursday morning. I said it to you Ooh, off air Thursday tomorrow, morning. which I was, you know, obviously me in podcast mode, um, that uh, the Premier League fixtures are revealed. So we will all know who uh, we have on first game. Uh, a leaked version came out the other day, which I hope is not real because it turns out that Villa would then have Man City to start the year. So hopefully that's not <laughs> a real one. Um, but yeah, that's the big thing I suppose coming out because although Dan said a lot of sport is going on, some sport is going on, but for a lot of the sports that I follow, for example, we are coming up to the off season or already in the off season. So, um, yeah, this is going to be a big thing. It's always an interesting time when there's the fixture reveal. Um, so yeah, looking forward to it and hopefully an easy start rather than a Man City away for, for Aston Villa. Yeah, listen, I mean, it's it's amazing how the Premier League fixtures are coming out already. It's just like another couple of months away uh, or less than that, more like six weeks. Um, for me, I'm super excited about the US Open. You know I like my golf. Um, I've got a cheeky uh, fiver on Justin Thomas. Obviously, I don't promote betting, but Justin Thomas is going to do a good job. He has been brilliant this season already. Uh, and also, I am going to do a section about GB, Great Britain athletes to look out for um, for the World Athletic Championships coming up in July. But I'm going to add that on as some extra content, probably through our Twitter and Instagram pages. So you just need to uh, keep checking our socials. Now, all that is left for me to say... Oh, I've not said that for a while. <laughs> all that's left for me to say is I've been Ben. And I've been Simon. Take care. Be kind. Goodbye. Ta-ra. Right.